Take that! Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark, and I'm joined again with Ben Reschlag. Hey, Theo, how are you doing? I'm doing well. This is going to basically be an original episode again. We're going to look at the fallacy of false analogy. Uh, so I did record an episode on false analogy with my father, Jeff, um, but there was a recent clip I came across in our in the media in Australia that I was a false analogy, so I thought we'd throw that in there at the beginning. So what we'll do is we'll start off with a quick clip about false analogy, and then Ben and I'll have a bit of a conversation, and then I'll flip it to the original episode on false analogy. So let's not muck around, let's get straight to it. You see, we had a fire, and the budget is the fire brigade. Uh, and sure, sometimes the fire brigade knocks over a few fences in order to put out the fire. But if you've got a fire, you've got to put it out. We also have false alarms, and people call the fire brigade when there's no real reason. And, Prime and, and as you said, uh, John, and as every economist accepts, uh, Australia did have to turn around its budget situation. Uh, we did have to turn around our budget situation. You can do that with as a, bit a, result, of, you know, bit, a few burn-offs in the off-season in order as, to reduce fuel as, and make sure you don't attract bushfires in the season. As, as a result of this budget, we have turned around. So that was our current Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, trying to sell uh, their newly released uh, federal budget. Yep, and it... Uh, it- Shows that uh, using uh, analogies in your as a way to buttress your argument can be a, a double-edged sword. Very double-edged, <laughs> yeah. And 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 the <laughs> it's and we did talk about it in the the book as well and say analogies really can be used to illustrate a point and there's no problem with doing that. You use them in teaching all the time when you're trying to explain a challenging concept to people. But if you're trying to make an argument about why you've done something, like why you've done it, you're better off just sticking with what you did yeah. because when you run into an, arg- an analogy like that he just turned it back on him so yeah. easily yeah yeah um this reminds me of it's kind of it's not exactly the same but it reminds me of um there's uh, something called the fallacy of equivocation you know, where you you use a term that can be interpreted differently in different yep. ways and that's kind of related to this now, this is something I quite see in. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna coin a new internet law here, Theo. This is this is Ben's iron law of comment threads on climate change articles. I like how you coined it after yourself. Nicely yeah. done. No, thank you. <laughs> and uh, ba- basically, the way this law goes, it, any, for any article on climate change in the media that allows the comments underneath it, it quickly descends into two groups of people. One group of people are wasting their time, and the other group of people are pseudo-skeptics who relish the opportunity to demonstrate their ignorance to everyone. I'll just disagree with you slightly there. All groups of people in there are all wasting their time. Yeah, sorry. Okay. <laughs> That's the uh, the first. Uh, what's the the first caveat then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> by definition, typing anything on the internet yeah, is pretty much a waste, waste of time. time yeah. yeah. I don't know cats. Yeah, cat memes. Sure, cat videos. Yeah. Anyway, there's one one particular thing that always catches my eye is when people talk about the greenhouse effect and then they go on to say they talk about greenhouses. And um, 
one of the one of the, there's a common thing I, I, I see happening over and over again is that um, climate change skeptics always talk about how uh, there's no common physical law between greenhouses and the greenhouse effect. Yep. Therefore, the greenhouse effect is fictitious. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and this this mind-numbing argument is quite astounding to me that anyone could take it seriously. I've had similar arguments with people who maintain that the Nazis were socialists mm, yep, because yep. the English translation of Nazi is national socialist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, now... Where was I going with this, Theo? Well, yeah, so the, yeah. the point is you've got greenhouse, yeah. greenhouse yeah, yeah. effect, and, and it actually yeah. is a good analogy yeah. because it's an analogy to illustrate the same principle, which is you get radiation from the sun, yeah. it goes down onto the earth, the infrared heat radiation is um, projected back out, you know, emitted back out from the earth in a greenhouse that keeps it hot because it stops, traps that infrared radiation from leaving. No, no, that's wrong, Theo. It, that's why it's a bad... No, but in, in a greenhouse, that's that's why the the greenhouse works. The greenhouses work yep. by me, by mechanically trapping yeah, the exactly. thermal mass of the air. Yeah. So yes, yeah. you're right. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the greenhouse effect is through the mechanism yep, that you've yep, just described, yep. which is the absorption and and radiation of long wave yeah, radiation so, by yeah, greenhouse. Yeah. So sorry, gases. the the hot yeah. earth in the greenhouse heats up the air mass, and then. And then, well, the air mass doesn't get heated up by the light no, it's, directly. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's heated up by the sun. Yeah, but the sun is the sun. The ground is yeah, absorbing that's right. the yeah. sunlight, yeah. and that's you know, like yeah. a road gets hot for the same reason. So the greenhouse, heat. Yep. the greenhouse is an insulator. Isn't isn't an insulator? It's a trap. Yeah. The, yeah, the difference yeah. here is that the, I suppose you could say, in the same uh, that the greenhouse effect is the, the carbon dioxide yep. and the the greenhouse gases. Yep. Uh, acting as an insulator. Yeah, exactly. No, no, yeah. yeah. And, and so, and yes, so the difference, so what people commonly say is that the greenhouse effect, uh, in a greenhouse is because the glass stops the infrared that's radiation right, yeah. leaving, but that's not true. That's o- right, obviously yeah. not because the infrared goes through glass. Yeah. Um, it's just another form. So the mechanisms yeah. are different. So that's they're, right. They're, yeah. what they're, they're conflating the mechanism that, that I, that works. That allow the greenhouse to work with the mechanism that causes yep. the greenhouse effect. The overall principle yep. makes sense. Yeah, and yep. it's it's one of those things which is completely irrelevant to the merits of the argument. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so as as I said in my other in my other example, it's like. Just because something is called something that is similar yeah. to something else doesn't mean they both share the same well, properties. Well, and and, and yeah. I've had I remember I critiqued uh, or wrote about Paul Davies talking about faith in science, yeah. and saying that um, faith in religion was no difference. And, or and you go, well, hang on a sec, you're using that word faith to be equivalent when actually it means something completely different. So if we say you've got faith in science, we mean it much more colloquially, yeah, that's right, than than and than the way people use it in religious context or religious faith yeah. so again it's not a that's probably not a false analogy per se it's much more like that equivalent equivalent equivalence um that, that you were talking about yeah yeah look that those are so there's a couple of quick examples um the to go back to the original one with our prime minister tony abbott look fair enough you're trying to explain political policy so you might want to come up with an analogy but my i would always generally go back to Stick with talking about the thing. Yeah. The thing is not that complicated. No. So arguing with an analogy really it it can be an effective 
thing to do, but as we saw then with the skilled interviewer, can get turned back on you a little bit sometimes yeah. too, much to the amusement of everyone who watched that clip. <laughs> okay, look, let's uh, move on now to the original episode. So here's the original episode uh, of Hunting Humbug 101 and where we also talk about false analogy. Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101. Tonight's episode or tutorial is about false analogies. And initially, we're going to directly read from the book, Humbug, The Skeptic's Field Guide to Spotting Fallacies and Thinking, and then we're going to discuss false analogies. False analogy, we have um, other terms and or related concepts that are sometimes used. Um, Misuse of analogy, metaphor as argument, and cliche thinking. The description of a false analogy is one, a false analogy occurs when an advocate presents an example of a phenomenon and implies that the example either proves or compellingly illustrates something about another phenomenon. An example might be an argument that access to firearms should not be severely restricted as access to kitchen knives is also uh, not severely restricted and yet, like firearms, they are sometimes used to kill innocent people. This analogy deliberately ignores the critical difference between guns and kitchen knives. Such an example might have some value as a figurative analogy. The purpose of a figurative analogy is illustrative and metaphorical, but it's obviously flawed if it is intended as a literal analogy to be advanced as a proof. Okay, and we develop an example. Glenn Tropicana is an investment advisor and he's giving a sales pitch to a couple of prospective clients, Sheila and Dennis. Glenn is trying to persuade them to sign up for a regular monthly contribution to an investment scheme. The scheme may or may not be suspect. That is not the issue here. During his spiel, Glenn states, You know what happens with a steady drip of water into a bucket? Before you know it, the bucket's full. If you invest only $200 a month, in no time, you'll have a great nest egg. Dennis replies, That's all very well. But what if there's a hole in the bucket that we don't know about? Comment. Glenn has met his match in Dennis. Glenn attempted to use his analogy of water dripping into a bucket as a compelling illustration of the wisdom of making a regular contribution to the scheme he's promoting. However, Dennis is clearly a critical thinker and a sceptic. He recognised the fallacy of the, in the analogy. When he recognised the fallacy, he could simply have said, investments are a lot more complex than water dripping into a bucket you'll need to present me with a better argument. However, he chose to use Glenn's analogy against him by extending it and introducing a confounding variable, the possibility of a leak in the bucket. A common problem with the use of analogy to support an argument is that another analogy can usually be found to support the opposite position. For example, there are many metaphors, proverbs, cliches, traditional homespun sayings, etc., in our own culture, which seemingly contradict each other. Consider a situation where someone may try to make a case for increasing the number of workers in a project team by citing the venerable proverb, many hands make light work. The proverb seems to be self-evidently true and supports the notion that an increase in the size of the team would be a reasonable position to take. However, someone else could use a plausible counter-proverb 
to support the opposite point of view, such as too many cooks spoil the broth. The latter proverb invokes a common experience of some large teams, separate agendas, lack of coordination, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. The fact that many proverbs are directly contradicted by other proverbs is an indication that reliance on proverbs or analogies in decision-making or resolution of issues is fraught with danger. We might, for example, be presented with an exciting once-in-a-lifetime business opportunity. We mull over the decision. A series of proverbs come to mind. Opportunity only knocks once. Make hay while the sun shines. Seize the day. Strike while the iron's hot. We invest. We go broke. Reflecting on our financial disaster, another set of proverbs comes to mind. Look before you leap. Act in haste. Repent at leisure. Haste makes waste. There's many a slip twixt the cup of the lip and the lip. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Well, that's reading straight from the Humbug. And we've gone on to develop false analogies a little bit more on our blog as well when we're coming across real-life examples. And I think, Dad, especially that last point about you can actually easily come up with counter-examples of analogies and proverbs. And so in that sense... It, it of, you often wonder, well, what's the use of them in the first place? What's the use of analogy in the first place? Yeah, I think one of the things that interests me about these uh, folk sayings is that um, as I've made some informal sort of inquiries and the same sort of folk sayings seem to pop up in different cultures and in different... It, it's almost like um, grandma's wisdom. And uh, yeah. when grandma says, too many cooks spoil the broth, you just take it at face value and you say, That's oh, right. you know, it's fair enough, and so on. But a little more thought, and you realise that there are contrary arguments. So while grandma might think her proverb settles the issue, if you're a critical thinker, you really um, make a hypothesis perhaps that, um, well, you know, what if the opposite is true or can I think of a case where the opposite might be the true, might, might be true. So... Um, you'll go beyond the, the simple cliche, which sounds right, and you really explore whether there are opposites that also sound equally plausible. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I think that the the point of analogies is not to actually say they're no good because they are very useful when they're used for, to illustrate a point, but people often make the mistake of saying that illustration you know, settles the matter. And I find that... If you can obviously make your point without having to illustrate it with somebody, then that's obviously a lot clearer. But sometimes there are some things that, you know, you do need that analogy to try and get people to see what you're trying to say. But to actually use that as a basis of an argument, uh, on the other hand, can you can actually lead uh, to a lot of trouble. Um, of course, the other point is that a lot of the time then when people discover the idea of false analogies, they think as soon as someone makes an analogy, it's a, a false analogy. And so what you need to do is you actually need to see, does that analogy actually match up uh, realistically with the points I was trying to make. And so we tried to cho choose a pretty simple example in the book of, of comparing guns to um, knives. And, and it, a lot of the time, of course, with fallacies and trying to explain them to people, you choose examples that are uh, really um, quite simple to explain. But in real life, of course, they're never usually so simple. So the, the gun and the knife one uh, is pretty obvious that guns and knives are completely different. You know, a gun... Uh, a, a, uh, to give a quick example of the change of na changing nature of warfare, 
200 years ago, you would not be able to get 13, 12-year-old kids in an army and, and be able to actually do any kind of real damage to an opposition because they'd be carrying around, you know, having to fight with swords and things like that. And a, an adult male would just have zero issues, um, you know, uh, killing an enemy soldier who was a 12-year-old boy. But now, of course, horrendously in some of these armies in Africa and so on, you get these, you know, 10-year-old kids running around with guns and actually being effective because a gun can gives a massive advantage and massive superiority. So they're completely different. And, of course, the other issue with that analogy is knives... Uh, have a real purpose in the kitchen. They're a useful tool for preparing meals, whereas guns, of course, have zero uh, purpose in the kitchen. And so it's very difficult to find uh, a similar kind of use for guns besides, you know, sport shooting and things like that. And so when you're looking at the analogy, yeah, superficially you might think, oh, that kind of makes sense. But when you delve a little deep, a little below the surface, it should become pretty clear that, you know, the analogy is completely bankrupt of any uh, usefulness in that particular example we gave. Um, and I certainly note that uh, there are some analogies people make that are just so obviously uh, flawed. And, but nevertheless, some people might find them convincing. And I think the counterexample is one of the, the best um, tricks to use. So one of the ones I, I put on the blog, which I'll um, insert the audio here, is the uh, argument from Banana, which is a, an argument a creationist came up with, and he made the analogy uh, with, he called it the atheist nightmare, um, because bananas were obviously made by God for humans to eat um, because they're exactly like a can of soda. So I'll quickly play that, video, that uh, audio now. And then we'll come back and discuss uh, analogies further. Okay. Hold this, Kat. Behold the atheist's nightmare. Now, if you study a well-made banana, you'll find on the far side, roughly ridges. On the close side, two ridges. If you get your hand ready to grip a banana, you'll find on the far side, there are three grooves. On the close side, two grooves. The banana and the hand are perfectly made one for the other. You'll find the maker of the banana, Almighty God, has made it with a non-slip surface. It has outward indicators of inward contents, green too early, yellow just right, black too late. Now, if you go to the top of the banana, you'll find, as with the soda can makers, they placed a tab at the top, so God has placed a tab at the top. When you pull the tab, the contents don't squirt in your face. You'll find the wrapper, which is biodegradable, has perforations. Notice how gracefully it sits over the human hand. Notice it has a point at the top for ease of entry. It's just the right shape of the human mouth. It's chewy, easy to digest, and it's even curved toward the face to make the whole process so much easier. Seriously, Kurt, the whole of creation testifies to the genius of God's creation. Anyway, so the argument from Banana, I mean, that the... the thing I pointed out in the post is it's so easy to turn that against him. So, for exa example, if wh why didn't God make coconuts with screw-top lids? You know, so you pick out... And so, example of stacking the deck as well, you're just picking out this one example. And, of course, bananas were actually cultivated by humans over the last 10,000 years. So, you know, it falls down flat on basic facts as well. But, yeah, I think um, one of the ones that I always uh, looked at was the fact that people do just see an analogy and go, oh, false analogy. And that idea of the red flag uh, faux pas is a new kind of fallacy that I've coined um, where people get a red flag for a fallacy and go, oh, that's obviously a fallacy and just say it is one without actually deciding 
correctly or not, whether it is a fallacy. And so I did a post called Analogies of the Good and the Bad, bad and um, on an educational article, and one of the things he said was, um, as critics have noticed, it seems gratuitous to provide someone incentive to do what they already enjoy. In the parlance of behavioural studies, it's a case of over-justification. Rewarding children who draw with markers, after all, is like rewarding kids with ice cream sundaes for watching television. So that's an analogy about you know rewarding children for um, doing good work at school. And I think yeah, uh, it's, it, it works very well because it, yeah, it, because it, 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 it punches it's, up it's, images. It's pretty much the same. It's pretty much exactly the same because a student has doing something that's intuitively interesting for them, and so and and so either way that analogy actually works, whereas I've had students are saying, oh, that's a false analogy, but no, that actually works quite well, and it is over-justification. Whereas the second yeah. example he uses was uh, to judge the necessary variegated skills of students and teachers with an endless series of tests is absurd as it is unfair, like putting huge scoreboards in classrooms and expecting adults and children to teach and learn under their imposing glare. Now, that to me is a clear false analogy, the fact that, first of all, testing isn't occurring the entire way through. I mean, in the States it might be, but I from what I've read, it isn't. It's not the whole way through. It's not ridiculously public like that. And, of course, there's an argument for the fact that kind of competition actually does increase improvement. Any, you know, get, get in, that kind of um, competition can actually be good for some students as well. In our example, we talk a clear-cut distinction between illustrative and uh, compelling but most analogies are somewhere between those two extremes. So yep, yep. Uh, don't, don't get hung up with whether it is a false analogy or not yep. because often it's the case that um, to rely too much upon it is a, a weak argument. That's right. But that it, it might be nevertheless fairly compelling in its own way. So rather than saying it is or it isn't, very often you just say it's it's weak or it's strong or it's yeah, um, yep, yep. it illustrates or something. Not, yeah. And that's the basis for discussion. So, yeah, I, th- I think um, the, the thing about um, analogies is they can often be used playfully um, in discussion hmm. uh, by two people who are actually interested in arriving at, at a closer approximation of the truth rather than winning the argument. So if if two people are having a discussion and... Uh, say it's about an investment um, opportunity and one of the people says, look before you leap and um, a- another person says, uh, uh, strike while the iron is hot. They they represent two poles of an argument mm. and they may assist them moving the argument forward but neither person should assert that the analogy itself is compelling, that is mm. that it proves that case. Uh, but they're, they're useful for moving an argument forward, for getting so a clear... So kind of a communication tool. Yeah, it's a tool of communication. And also, I, I think analogy enriches the, the language. So mm. if you look at some of those analogies, um, they they are, and metaphors, uh, similes, those sorts of things, yep. they enrich the language. And, and therefore, I, I think part of argument is the enjoyment of language itself. And I think in that domain of the analogy, um, we shouldn't be too critical of the use of analogy, mm. provided if it's illustrative, it's only used as illustration rather yep. than a compelling proof of something. Yeah, when it's the basis of an argument, then you're in trouble. Um, 
but when it's used to try and convey what you mean to somebody in a clearer way, then it's usually quite useful, as long as it's a, a what well, it is actually apt, of course. So sometimes people are trying to do it, but actually it can take people away. I mean, that's one of the dangers I hear um, physicists talk about when they're explaining the use of analogy to try and explain you know, things like general relativity and quantum physics, and they say that that's all well and good. However, sometimes the actual reality of what the mathematics or whatnot is doing actually can get lost in the analogy. But I think that you've, you've, they've got to do that. I mean, they've got to argue about whether the analogy is good or not. But if you're trying to explain some difficult concepts to people, some of the only way you can do it is through some kind of metaphor. And I mean, certainly as a teacher, I, you, you have to use analogies and metaphors all the time in your teaching. I know that whenever I, certainly in science and in, in teaching physics and so on, I've always relied heavily on analogies to try and make some kind of concept meaningful to the students and so you put it in their kind of language and and you relate it to something that they already know about and that's essential so and so that kind of analogy can work really really well as a way of illustrating uh, some kind of process but again you know that's got absolutely nothing to do with whether it's true or not it's just a way to try and illustrate a, a particularly difficult concept to somebody and I think that's one of the dangers you've got when you understand what a false analogy is, is just seeing an analogy and going, oh, well, that's crap. But if it's not the basis of an argument, then it's okay as long as it's the, the analogy is apt. Yeah, I mean, e- even if in discussion, if somebody comes up with um, a, a, an analogy that takes the form of a proverb, like um, opportunity only knocks once, yep. the sceptic can say something like, yes, but opportunity may be a serial killer. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and you, in other words, you don't have to find a proverb that is the opposite of that, That's but just right, yeah. playfully just insert move, some just extra follow the same logic. Yeah. So you know, um, and I, I, I think um, it, it's analogy if it's used playfully as illustration and so on may stop people taking entrenched positions. So you, you can actually say to somebody who's talking to you. Yes, that, that sounds compelling or interesting or yeah, I can see some examples where that might work. But have you thought about this and then you give the opposite mm. situation uh, and use a different analogy to support the opposite situation? And the other thing is uh, it's often, you know, people assume that often that an argument should come out with an outcome uh, that's fairly definitive, but often you can engage in argument about something yeah. Um and you can kind of reach an impasse where all the issues have been aired and you can agree between yourselves that um, really there's no definitive answer as yet. In other words, um, you've reached a point where you've thrashed out some ideas. So it's not a Socratic uh, method. Yeah, um, and, and you can, it can be a very healthy thing to say, well, we've had a good go at this and... Uh, but let's pick up next week and see where we can take it, you know. Absolutely. So, and, of course, that's one of the best things about doing that is people stepping back and then reflecting on it at a later time. And sometimes that pause is really important because if you just keep yeah, going, yeah. a lot of the time yeah. you'll just get nowhere. Whereas if you actually stop and reflect upon the conversation you've had, you can actually think, oh, well, actually, now that I think about what they said when I've got my own time to myself – it can actually change your mind greatly, whereas when you're engaged in a discussion, you don't get that chance a lot of the time to reflect on what was being said. Schadenfreude. The guilty pleasures of humbug. 
sorry, sorry, Sophie, I've just resolved to actually scramble proverbs and create enormous confusion out there in the community. So I, I'm just looking at some of our some of our proverbs here. But I, and let, let's take you know, make hay while the sun shines. But I, in an argument, I would say make hay make hay while the iron is hot. <laughs> and so, you know, just splice two proverbs together. Oh, and you can't feed a reaction. mixed metaphor. I love mixed metaphors. Uh, but uh, I'd, I'd love watching the confusion in the person's eyes as the That's the point of them, and especially when they actually make no sense. That's one of the best. Of course, in an argument make... now, we're talking about being in bad faith, but putting something like a metaphor like that that makes no sense, but saying like it's completely meaningful, and then giving yeah, the yeah. person make, a funny make... look as if they're remember that not one. understanding you. Remember that one. Make hay while the iron is hot. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll because... use that in my next meeting. Superficially, we've got to make hay while the iron's hot. Yeah. I like it. Look, on that note, uh, we'll leave it there for this week, and next week we'll be back with another fallacy. So until then, you've been listening to Hunting So that was the original episode on false analogy. Don't forget, uh, you can buy a copy of the e-book Humbug, the Skeptic's Field Guide to Follow Spotting Fallacies and Deceptive Arguments. Head to the website, skepticsfieldguide.net, to do so. There's free editions there as well, free versions. Uh, And feel free to leave a review of the book or the podcast on Amazon or iTunes or anywhere else. That's fantastic. And we we do, of course, recommend that you buy the new version. Yeah, you know, like if you're... And I'm assuming – oh, sorry, the reason why I didn't bring that up really was because I just assumed everyone who's already listened to this podcast a few times has already paid for it because otherwise there'd be a bunch of freeloading yeah. bastards. And I can't imagine anyone who's listening to this podcast would be a freeloading bastard. Uh, so buy it. So if you've already bought it on Amazon, buy it on iTunes, then no, don't worry about that. Feel free to buy it or not. As long as you're listening and enjoying the podcast, I'm more than happy. Any comments, suggestions? Send me an email, theo.clark at skepticsfieldguide.net, or you can tweet me at theojclark. Okay, until the next episode, see you later, Ben. Thanks for coming along. See you, Theo. I'll see you next time.